Good evening, Chicago. You're listening to Inspirational Perspective. I'm your host, Linnell Harris, Chicago's very own life coach. Inspirational Perspective on your radio is all about murdering mediocrity and living the best life possible. And so as I ask you guys every Saturday evening, are you living the best life possible? And this is the place to stay tuned because that's exactly what we will be talking about this evening. Well, tonight I'm sharing part three of my new series on defining the 21st century and the impact of globalization and diversity. And this is titled, Welcome to the 21st Century, Globalization and Diversity, Part 3. Those of you who've been joining over the last few weeks, you've heard now two parts of this series. And tonight is Part 3. So if you enjoyed the first two parts, you will definitely enjoy tonight because we are talking about diversity. The focus is on diversity, but diversity... In regards to what you should know about the political and economic impacts of diversity. Now, let me set the stage real quick, okay? Because I'm sure a lot of people will say, well, why are you talking about diversity? Well, part of the reason I'm doing this series in the first place around the 21st century globalization and diversity is because we have an important decision to make. And at this point, less than four weeks, okay? And one of the things I wanted to make sure is that at least for those of you who listen to me on a regular basis, that I arm you with as many of the facts about what's happening in the 21st century for you to make a good decision. Now, I, I will never tell you who to vote for. I believe that's a very personal decision, okay? Now, I will always share my opinion, but I will never tell you what to do. And what I want to make sure is, as you're making your decision, that you have what I call the facts, that you understand what the 21st century is and the impact of the 21st century, that you understand what globalization is and the impact that has on you where you are. For those of us who call ourselves Americans and how we may decide to vote. And then number three, the impact of diversity. All right. And often when we hear that term diversity, I think our minds automatically go towards things like affirmative action, race. And I'm going to tell you why you need to think much broader than that on this particular topic tonight. So you definitely want to stay tuned. Okay. And again, remember, I say this is the place where you come to live the best life possible. So I would not be sharing this information if I did not think that it is relevant to you living the best life possible. Knowledge is power um, when it's applied. And so hopefully I give you something tonight. I know I will give you something tonight that uh, will help you be more knowledgeable. And then your decision is whether or not you will apply it. But first and foremost, I want to set the stage on Part of the reason I'm credible to share the information I will be sharing with you all tonight, um, because I'm not sure that everybody knows my, my history, my past, my resume is not something I tout often. 
And and what you all do know is that I'm a life coach. But before I became a life coach, I spent 16 years in global business, international business. I've had the opportunity to visit over 40 countries, 260 cities around the world, some of which may have been just on vacation, some of which, you know, were business. I was doing business. And so tonight, as we talk about diversity, I want to provide a a very global perspective from that experience. Now, the other thing that I don't talk about often is that I served in the capacity of chief diversity officer for about four years for a Fortune 500 company, okay? And in that role, I helped them develop their diversity and inclusion strategies. So some of what I'm going to be sharing with you guys is a little bit extracted from my professional experience, a little bit extracted from talks and speeches that I've given across the country, some of them globally, and a little bit of what I've learned in business blended into what I believe will be information you want to have moving forward in the 21st century. All right. So if you weren't with us for the first two shows, I want to run over real quick what we talked about on those shows. First and foremost, if you missed part one and part two, here's what you missed. In part one, I defined the 21st century. You may say, what do you mean to find the 21st century? Well, I talked about what the 21st century really is. Because often those of us who were born before the 21st century, we still bring that context of the Industrial Revolution, the 20th century, to everything that we do in the 21st century. So when we look at the last 15 years, we don't allow those 15 years to define themselves, right? I've been on the earth 40 years. I want to make all of my 40 years, including the 15 years, make sense for me. But when you really think about the 21st century, you have to look at the last 15 years and then cut the rest off. What has happened in the last 15 years? And how is that impacting where we are going towards the future? The Industrial Revolution is over, and I shared that the information age is just about over, too. What's next? The robotic age. You want to know more about that? Then you should go to the Facebook Inspirational Perspective page and check out show number one. Last week was part two, and we talked about globalization. I had Mr. David Anderson on the show with me. He's the North American president and CEO of Key Global, which is uh, a Chinese-owned and operated company that operates here in the United States. He shared with us his perspective on globalization. And then we also had Quentin Clay of Cornell University come on and talk about the impacts of globalization on education. Okay, That show is also on the Inspirational Perspective Facebook page. And so if you missed that one, you can always go there and check that show out too. All right? But tonight, we talk diversity. So stay tuned for that. And uh, I also want to share this. You know, this is is going to be an informative show. And I'm going to tell you, well worth the time that you're listening. But if you're not driving, I would say go grab a pen and paper. You know, grab something to write on because I'm going to be dropping some statistics on you that I think will shock you in terms of diversity across the globe. But more importantly, here in the United States, and then you're going to begin to understand 
why we're seeing some of the things in the political climate that we're seeing. I don't want to give away too much, but uh, believe me, you want to check this show out, okay? Now, the topic tonight is the political and economic implications of diversity. And there are two questions that I want to ask, and over the course of the show, I want to answer. The first question is, what is diversity, and how does it make any country or business stronger? Okay? I want to ask that question and also answer that question this evening. And the second question is, what are the political and economic implications of diversity in America and around the globe? Last week, we talked about globalization, okay? And one of the things that we didn't, we didn't cover is that globalization has brought diversity right to each of our doorsteps. Right to our doorsteps. Now, I uh, had the uh, opportunity this morning to talk to a group of aspiring entrepreneurs And um, one of the things I told them about doing global business is in order for you to be successful, you have to understand the context and the culture of the place that you're doing business. And, you know, some of them, I asked them, you know, how many of you all think that you're doing global business? And uh, maybe about a quarter of them in the room raised their hands. Well, you know, I'm doing global business. And I looked at the other 75% and I told them, if you are doing business via the internet and you're not considering the globe, you are cutting out a significant portion of your potential market. And all because you're not thinking that you're doing global business. And not just because you're not thinking it, Some of us aren't prepared to do global business because we haven't learned how to accept variety. We haven't learned how to operate with people who are different. We haven't learned to get curious about things that we don't understand. And so as a result, it's impacting us in our pocket. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about the economic impact of diversity and why you understanding people's difference, respecting their difference, regardless of the color of their skin, because there are some people who have the same skin color as you who are different. And we have to learn how to understand and respect them because if you are looking to do any type of business, If you are looking to be successful in your job, your ability to navigate that difference will be crucial and very important. To embrace diversity is to embrace difference. So when I say the term diversity, especially for those of us who are women or minorities, people of color, right away we get hopped up. But What I want you to do tonight is to begin to look at yourself because it's real easy to point fingers at other people and say, 
well, I get difference. I am different. No. Do you really get different? Because as soon as somebody different, even if they look like you, begins to say something or do something that offends you, all of a sudden, your ability to navigate difference disappears. And that's what I want to talk about. And I want to talk about why it's so important, not just for you, but across this country. But first, before I do that, let's talk about what diversity truly is. Okay. And what diversity is, is it's identity. It starts with identity. And if you want to get technical, basically diversity is broken down into four different factors. All right. You have a primary portion of our identity. You have a secondary portion of identity. And then you have what people call organizational and then cultural differences of diversity. Okay. So let me give you a few examples of primary diversity, age, race, gender, ethnicity, gender identity, sexual orientation. All of those things will be considered primary parts of diversity. Okay. So what do, you, what do I mean by secondary education, religion, Hey, th- just those two by itself. And I'm telling you, just those two, when you get past the primary and you go into the secondary, people start acting funny. Appearance is secondary. You know, we judge people based on how they look. When I'm giving this talk, often when I'm sharing it at a university or in a corporate conference setting, I tell them right away, I say, if I came on this stage and I had on untied boots and my jeans had holes in them, right? Even if I bought it that way, it's fashionable. And I had on a hoodie. You know, all my credibility, you know, your ability to listen to me and accept me the way you do over the airwaves, the way you do if I'm dressed in a suit, would significantly change. Why is that? The reason is because appearance, that secondary boundary of diversity, all of a sudden it begins to play into my subconscious bias because the last time I checked somebody wearing a hoodie and tattered jeans with unlaced boots ain't up to nothing good and they don't know nothing right that's the stereotype and so all of a sudden if I'm dressed that way my credibility is gone it's gone why 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 don't we sit back and choose to listen first why don't we Get curious about what's being said before we draw some type of conclusion. That's the question. So that's the secondary part of, I I didn't even go into all of the different factors of this in regards to secondary. Working style, language style, geographic location, communication style, all these things fall into the secondary parts of diversity. Okay. And then in organizations, you have level, tenure, industry, location, all of that. And then culture, cultural diversity includes time, whether we orient ourselves towards being or doing, personal space, body language. There's two things on here I'll I'll share with you real quick on. Time is cultural. And I I remember I had this conversation before. And uh, I had this conversation before around time. 
And I talked about how time is cultural. And, you know, sometimes we talk about CP time, colored people time. You know, uh, we can't show up on time. You get island time. When I was doing a lot of work in Jamaica, living in Jamaica, they would say, oh, you know, they're on island time. And, uh, you know, what is that? You know, why is it that, you know, when uh, you're working with a group like this, you know, time is not necessarily respected the same way it may be in a different culture. And what it comes down to, believe it or not, is in a Caribbean tropical culture, time does not dictate whether you live or die. If you plant your seed today, then it will grow. If you plant your seed tomorrow, it will grow. Why? Because the sun still rises and the sun still shines. The temperature is relatively the same all year round. And so I grow when I choose to grow. Now, if you move to a more northern climate where time matters because you have seasons, this is why, you know, time is such a big deal in the Euro-Caucasian culture. Because if they didn't plant on time, they would die. Because winter would catch them, the frost would catch them. And so when you think about diversity in culture, it impacts even how we think about things like time. And so if you're someone who has a Euro-Caucasian background, you may want to get curious about why someone's not on time. They may not always be trying to disrespect you. Again, looking to understand one another. The other thing is around personal space. When I spent a lot of time in India, one of my favorite stories is I I remember, you know, getting off the plane. I had my backpack and all my important stuff is in my backpack, right? Everything I wanted to keep close to me. And uh, I'm getting off the plane and this gentleman is leaning on my backpack. And I'm like... I look, I turn around, I look at him like, man, what, what, what are you doing? He kind of looks at me and he kind of gives me this, you know, little nod. You know, Indians have this way of nodding side to side. Um, it means yes, no, I don't know. It means everything, right? <laughs> you, just, you have to be in the conversation to understand the context. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so anyway, I turn around, he does this little nod. And I turn back around and he leans right back on my backpack. Then I began to observe everyone else on the plane. And they were, I mean, there was no personal space. They were all up on each other. I mean, basically stacked. And so at that point, I realized, okay, this is a cultural thing. And so I just kind of moved on in my place and leaned on the person in front of me while he leaned on back of me and just got in with it. But this is why it's important for us to understand each other's cultures. Because the more we understand, the less we're offended. Initially, I was offended because I didn't understand. I've said it before on the show, but to me, offense is ignorance. And the ignorance comes from your lack of understanding. Almost all of us do something for a reason. So if you do something, I'm offended. You know, I want to make you wrong for doing what you did. But maybe there's a reason that I don't understand, I don't get. And really, the fault is on my side. And with the fault being on my side, I just need to figure out how to understand and bridge the gap of my ignorance, not yours. You know, so consider that offense is your ignorance, not the other person's. All right. So move on to diversity and inclusion. I think we all know the point that the more diverse the team, the better the team will operate. But did you know that if the team is not led well, if the team is not led well, it will function worse 
than a homogenous team. What is a homogenous team? A homogenous team is a team made up of people who think the same, same cultures, same backgrounds, also look the same. Okay, that's a homogenous team. You can say in a lot of in a lot of ways that the majority of CEOs in, in the Fortune 500 are homogenous. If you get my point, okay. So, a diverse team managed well can outperform a homogenous team, but a diverse team managed poorly will not. All right, so, real quick, before I, I get into bias, I just also want to make sure that we understand what inclusion is because often you hear about diversity and inclusion. And you'll notice that tonight I'm not really talking a whole lot about inclusion in particular, but I want to define inclusion, and by the way, this is my definition from my, my professional experience. But uh, to me, inclusion is about bringing the wholeness of who you are to the one place you spend the most time and being valued and heard. That's what I say inclusion is, okay? And I always say, you know, it's funny to me that most companies, when they hire you, they do their best to ensure that you assimilate. And if you can't assimilate into the culture, then basically you don't seem to be valued, right? And it's fascinating to me because they pay you 100% of what you're supposed to get, but on the back end, they're not taking 100% of what you bring. And in my opinion, that's one of the reasons corporate America finds itself in the situation that it's been in consistently over the last decade, especially in the 21st century. I mean, results are volatile, right? Up, down, up, down, up, down. And to me, it meshes with the inconsistency of how most corporate environments think about their workforce and even accept the wholeness of who the people in their workforce are. I think it goes hand in hand and you won't see solid results. Matter of fact, you see some companies that have solid results and typically it's because they are embracing the wholeness of what people are bringing to the workplace. But if you're a leader and you know, think about this, are you really embracing the people who work for you fully? Do they have to assimilate to you? Do they have to communicate the way you like, or can they be them? And then bring their genius to you, however it may be, and you accept that wholly and take it and implement what, you know, you can't implement everything, but implement what makes sense. I can guarantee you, if you're that type of leader, you will be successful. You will be very successful. And if you're a leader that's struggling right now, it's likely you're not doing those things. All right, so what gets in the way of our ability to truly understand someone else? I talked about it earlier, but one of those things is bias. Bias. And we all have bias. I have bias. You have bias. And it's interesting. I I told this story, and it's funny. People looked at me like, wow, I can't believe you're telling this right now. But I'm about to tell the story because I want us to take a real good look at bias. And one of the places, you know, when I talk about diversity, I talk about race. So y'all, y'all just need to strap on your seatbelts and get with it, okay? But one of the stories I tell is of a transaction I had with a brother, okay? And my furnace, my furnace was, uh, well, I have a boiler in my house. My boiler went out, and I wanted to find someone to fix the boiler. 
And I wanted to find someone that looked like me, okay? And so I went out, found this person, first time he had ever done some work for me. He came over to the house, and he fixed, quote, unquote, the boiler, okay? Now, after he left, the boiler stopped working. And right away, I did what, if a white person had done this, you all would be like, I can't believe it. But I, first thing I said is, oh, man, that brother got over on me. He got over on me. It's the first thing I thought, right? It was my bias. Now, before you judge me, understand where the bias comes from, okay? Because you guys hear me talk all the time on the radio about inputs. Your inputs become your outputs. You hear me talk about that all the time. And the media, the media paints the black man, and I can say this with certainty, paints the black man in a way that has you distrust, second guess, in some ways almost criminalize him, okay? So as soon as I began to have those thoughts, I had to check myself. Wait a second. Why am I thinking that? I need to call him and tell him the furnace isn't working before I write him off. And so I gave him a phone call. Okay, when I called him, he said, oh, man, I'm sorry that's, ha- that's happening for you. The next day came out, found the problem, which happened to be something else that he didn't have anything to do with it. And I, I tell you, I know a little bit about it. He didn't fix that for me. And since then, I've had no problems. But what came up was bias. What came up was bias. And so one of the things I'm going to tell you guys is we have to do a better job checking our own bias what bias do you have when you see someone that doesn't look like you you know what bias do you have if you see someone who is a muslim dressed from head to toe in the traditional shrouds of an orthodox muslim like what goes on in your mind we got to check the bias because the media will tell us what to think What I'm telling you is think what you should think based on that person, based on that individual. If you're curious, ask questions. Hey, you know, why do you wear that? Why is that important for you to do? Why is it important that you all cover your faces? I'm just curious. Get curious. And if they don't want to answer the questions, that's fine. But I guarantee you, you'll find someone that does. And when they answer the questions, you will learn. And as you learn, it actually closes the gap of your ignorance and the tighter the gap of your ignorance, the less you will be offended. Okay. All right. So that's, that's what I'm going to share on bias. Now I want to share with you guys some economic impacts of diversity because diversity has economic impacts. And I'm going to share a couple of corporate America stories with you guys um, that I think you'll like that demonstrate this. And one of my favorites is about Gerber. The baby food company. Okay. I'm going to tell the story real quick because I want to spend some time on Whirlpool too. But Gerber decided that they were going to sell baby food in the South African market. And they do such a good job selling food all over the world that they didn't need any type of consultation. So what they did is they went into South Africa, put their food on the shelf and expected it to sell baby food. Right. And it wasn't moving. They were selling very little. And they couldn't understand why. Why are we not selling our baby food? We sell baby food all over the world. We do a good job selling baby food. Okay. Now, finally, 
they decided that, well, if it's not selling, then maybe the reason it's not selling is because we have a white baby on the can. And this is South Africa. South Africa has a mostly black population. Maybe we should put a black baby on the can of baby food. And so in all their wisdom, they put a black baby on the can. And the sales dropped even further. So finally, they got wise and they said, well, maybe we should bring some South Africans in. Ah, who knew? Who who knew that might work? (laughs) So they brought some South Africans in. And the South Africans looked at the product right away and said, well, if you didn't know that 75% of the people in South Africa are illiterate, they don't read well. And because they don't read well, we typically put whatever is in the can on the can. And it looks like here you were selling white baby for people to eat. And then you went to black baby for people to eat. And that is why your baby food was not selling. Yeah, somebody said they heard that one. Yeah. All right, so that's one. Now, I have another one that I, that I love, and it's around Whirlpool. So Whirlpool, they decided to build this new stove, and it was called the Gemini stove. And the reason it was called the Gemini is because it had two compartments where you can bake. You know, so two compartments in the oven where you can bake. Okay, now, if you're like me from the Midwest, that sounds like a pretty good idea. That sounds pretty cool that I can I can bake, you know, in this oven. And so Whirlpool was really excited about this. And they decided they were going to push these units all throughout the United States, Central America, South America. Okay, and uh, the stoves did well in the Midwest, did well on the East Coast. But the West Coast, you know, Southwest, it did horrible. And it did not move in Latin America. It just didn't move. And they couldn't understand why. So finally, a Latino or Hispanic executive at Whirlpool found out about the stove and decided, you know, to look at the schematics of the stove. And as soon as he looked at the stove, he saw that, wait a second, you guys have effectively taken the storage place of every Hispanic and Latino away from them with the stove. We don't use the oven. All of our cuisine is cooked on top of the stove. And so as a result, you've taken away our storage space. We put our pots and pans that we don't use in the oven area, and that's why it hasn't moved in the Southwest and Latin America, because Hispanics, they need the room. Simple. Real real simple. Whirlpool lost millions of dollars. So this is why diversity matters on the business level. But but now let's get to the political part. Let's go to the political reasons why diversity matters. And here's a question. In the U.S., what do you think the ratio of Caucasians to people of color over the age of 70 is? What do you think that ratio is? Do you think it's one to one? You think it's three to one, maybe a six to one or nine to one. For those of you on Periscope and Facebook, you can put it in the comments. But what do you think the ratio is? And I'm going to tell you in a moment here. But again, the question is, in the U.S., what is the ratio of Caucasians to people of color over the age of 70? And the answer, I got some answers. I got a four to one. I got four to one. 
The answer is actually three to one. Three to one. Okay. So over the age of 70, Caucasians are 75% of the demographic makeup. All right. Now let's switch it. Let's switch it. In the U.S., what is the ratio of Caucasians to people of color under the age of 14 years old? Under the age of 14. And here are your options. One to one, two to one, three to one, four to one. And I got some answers here popping up right now. Um, I'll say the question one more time. You guys can type in the answers on Periscope and Facebook Live. But in the U.S., what is the ratio of Caucasians to people of color under the age of 14? All right, I got a two to one. The answer is one to one. One to one. Now, what does that tell you? If you're listening right now and your child is going to a school that doesn't have diversity. And I don't care if your child is white or black, okay? But the school does not have diversity. You are not preparing them properly for what they are going to encounter when they become an adult. Okay? Period. And I'm not taking it back because it's the truth. If your child is going to a school and that school is not diverse, they will not be prepared properly for the world they will have to work in, socialize in when they become an adult. Hands down. Okay? The numbers don't lie. The numbers don't lie. Okay? One to one. And here's how, hey, this is one of the reasons, hey, this election here, These kids are 14 years old. They will be 18 electing our next president. So when you feel the power struggle that's happening right now, you know, the the tension in the air around this election, the fact that you have one candidate that, I'm sorry, I have never seen, you know, do such things in, in any type of presidential election. The fact that that's happening and people still seem to be on board, part of the reason for that is because in a lot of ways they understand that this is the last hurrah. This country will be more diverse regardless of what they do. It is headed that way. It's on the tracks. That's the direction it's moving. And that's why this election is so important. All right, so the United States workforce demographic has changed a lot. Um, In 2000, 74% of the workforce, in the year 2000, okay, 74% of the United States workforce was Caucasian. 74% in 2000, okay. In 2010, 64%, a 10-point drop in 10 years, okay. And then you go over the next the, the last six years, the projection now is that we're sitting currently at about 59, 58 to 59 percent. Significant drop off. 
And so, again, you, with this, you'll begin to see a shift in purchasing power, okay? Because when you have larger groups of people who are making money, they're making more money as a group, they have a different level of purchasing power. African-Americans in particular, our purchasing power in 2017 will be $1.3 trillion, okay? $1.3 trillion, all right? Asians are sitting right underneath the trillion. Hispanics, Hispanics are bumping up against $2 trillion, okay? This group here? <laughs> hey, they got a lot of buying power, a lot of buying power. So, again, those of you who are in business and you're like, I don't need to learn Spanish. I don't care what they're saying. Yes, you do. You want to make money? Yes, you do. Hey, I'm telling you, my wife and I have been talking about picking up multiple languages. You know, hey, if I can get my Spanish right, I'll be on a Spanish station talking the same stuff to them that I talk to y'all. Okay? Because... You're looking at it right now. Right now, they're sitting at 1.8, though. Okay. Um, but that's, that's the buying power of these three ethnic groups. Now, the other thing I promised was a breakdown of when we would begin to see a shift in demographics. So, as of 2015, people of your ethnic backgrounds made up 60% of the United States population. Okay. And people of color made up 40% of the U.S. population. By 2025, they're saying it will be 50%. I believe it's going to be sooner than that, but that's what the projections say, 2025. Now, you might say, well, Linnell, why do you think it's going to be sooner than that? Part of the reason I believe it's going to be sooner than that, because one of the other things that we have to consider is if we get, depending on who the president is, If we change something in immigration, right now, today, every year, we have one million immigrants, one million, one million immigrants that cross our borders every year. And some of them are undocumented. Some of them are illegal. But nonetheless, they are here. And the majority of these people that come in as immigrants are classified as people of color. Again, this is why, you know, the political atmosphere These are very important topics. Immigration is a very important topic. There's a reason why Mr. Trump wants to build a wall. Because the majority, as they were, will no longer be the majority. And the longer the borders are open, that process is being sped up. And they know that if they become citizens, that they will vote based on their interest, as we all should. But for that group, the interests might not be the same. And so as a result, they're like, close the borders, build the wall. I'm just breaking it down for you guys so you can really understand what's happening here. Okay? So that's another thing that we should consider. The last thing I will share is this. And I'm going to share what I believe is a a brand new reality. Here's the, the business case for diversity. One is globalization is real, all right? So you got to respect difference because if you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to do global business, this is just a a competence you're going to have to build, okay? Number two is the changing demographics. I've shared that. Number three, there are many emerging untapped markets, most of which are developing 
outside the United States. So those are a few of the reasons. Now, I want to share this this reality with you all to close. The new world of business is more profound than any one person can understand. And the new world of business is more complex than any one group of people or race can ever comprehend. In order for us to be successful, we're going to have to be successful together. And I'll close with that tonight. Thank you guys so much for listening. Love you all. Hope you got something out of this segment. Again, you're listening to Inspirational Perspective. I'm Linnell Harris. If you want to follow me on social media, you can do so at Linnell Harris. Go like the Inspirational Perspective Facebook page. Have a good night.